the smallest moment can change an entire world. Good morning and welcome to our new Series C. We're glad to have you here today and getting ready for this holiday season. I just want to remind you that this evening at 6 o'clock we're doing our Hanging of the Greens. And, and that's not a name of one of the families in the, in the church. That's, I, I, I have always wanted to use that graphic. You know, a pit, you know, like a family of five hanging, you know, uh, but I, I'm not allowed to do that, so I, I should not give you that visual image. Um, but the Hanging of the Greens takes place tonight at 6 o'clock. What we do is everybody just brings a dessert if you can, and we just spend about an hour, an hour and a half. We're usually done by, by the 8.20 kickoff time of the Patriots-Houston game, and, and it's a time for us to just decorate the building, get it ready for our holiday season. It's a great time for kids and for the whole family, so we invite you to come out for that. And also this coming Wednesday will be our last encounter service uh, of the year, you know, really make time for that if you can. This Wednesday at 7 o'clock, it's a time of worship, but it'll be a really good kind of like recheck your whole mind and your soul, get it ready for the busyness of the schedule that's coming up. So we invite you to be a part of that as well. So when we look at the Christmas story, and not to get into the season, I, I think if you've been coming here for a while, I'm, I'm not a cliche person. I am not a Bible Belt person. I am, um, even though I've been living here for over 36 years, I just, I, I, my faith means something to me. It's not just a seasonal thing that I go through. And, and I want to know the truth about it. I, wanna, I also want to know the falsehoods about it. I want to I know what, what is real about it. So when, I, when Christmas comes around, you know, sometimes I'm like, please, God, help me not to go through the same motions of the little baby in the manger story. And, and I know you'd think I'm going to get struck down for even joking about that. But it's just, I, I, I want to see. I, I, I want to see God in it. I want to see what God is doing in it. So we're looking at the Christmas story, not to get into the holiday mood or, or to learn some deep theological revelation that maybe you haven't had before, but we want to go at it so that we can actually see. And, and when I mean by see, have you ever had a moment where you really didn't see the moment take place? You know, a lot of times when this happens, I do a lot of weddings, and the young guy will be standing up there with, with his buddies, and, and now it goes one of two ways. One of, the, one of the ways is the guy locks down, you know, and he's all nervous, and his knees are all locked, and he's, not, and he's looking straight forward. Or, or the other case is that him and his buddies are half drunk, and they're kind of like goofing around, you know, and, and they're like too loose on it. So most of the time, what I'll have to do is just about when the bride comes through the door and, and she's starting to make her, I will actually pull the guy into the aisle and have to tell him, dude, you need to see what is going on. But most couples are so nervous they can't wait for this wedding moment that they've been planning for six months to get over with. And it's like, no, dude, you need to remember this moment when you see her coming down the aisle, forget your buddies, forget being nervous, forget the crowd, and just see. Allow it to come into your soul where, you know, we, we use this illustration of a light bulb going off. 
It's this idea that all of a sudden we have an illuminary moment where our brain finally sees something, and it's kind of a eureka moment. Uh, when we're told in a fable that when Achaemenes uh, discovered the principle of buoyancy, he was taking a bath, and he noticed that the level of the water in the bathtub went up, and as a result of it, he began to discover how to figure out volume of objects by placing them in water. And, and he had, you know, we're told that that's the first time the phrase eureka was ever used, which means I found it. Um, we're told that Einstein, when he discovered the, his theory of relativity, that it was a eureka moment, that he, he had this aha moment, or we were always depicted the picture of Sir Isaac Newton sitting under an apple tree, and the apple falling on his head, and then all of a sudden having this kind of eureka moment, I found it, I've discovered it, I actually see it. And when a moment strikes like that, there's another word that we use for it. We use the word epiphany. Now, the reason why I like the word epiphany better than eureka is because epiphany is a word that says that all of a sudden I see something, but it usually proceeds a change of direction. See, a lot of times we're seeing things and we're observing things, but the things don't drop into us so much so that we change the direction of where we go. And, and an epiphany is that kind of thing. It, it has built into it the idea of seeing something, but also travel, the idea of direction. Not that I just found it, but when I found it, it had an impact on my life. When I finally saw it, when I finally allowed it to drop into who I am, it, it, it changed something about me. It, it's, it's like a couple that just gets married or that's dating. And, you know, you're, you love your spouse and you're excited about marrying them or, or having just married them. But they got this little weird thing that they do that you just kind of like gloss over because you're just madly in love. And, but then all of a sudden you go and you visit his family in, in Utah someplace. And, I, and when you get there, all of a sudden you notice his mom does the same thing. And all of a sudden, you have an epiphany. I know why he does that. I know why he eats with his mouth open. I saw his father at dinner. That's why he does what he does. I all of a sudden have an epiphany, an understanding about, about why this person is the way that they are. Um, you know, a, a lot of us have pets. And I've looked at a, a lot of these videos about what your pet does when you're not home. Now, we, it's kind of an, an epiphany moment when, you know, you think your cats are just laying there or you think your dog is just sitting at the door waiting for you to come home. Well, but then there's that moment when you finally see what they may be doing. And I want to show you a video of a little beagle that does some stuff while his owners are away. Let's watch together. Now, let me set it up. Th that toaster oven in the corner must be used by the owners in the morning. So our little beagle friend, yeah, that'll make you wipe your counters down, won't it? This little guy, he wants that bagel. Oh, 
Now, a couple of years ago, he could have made this jump. This guy's not going to give up. And there we are. Yeah, pretty amazing, huh? See, you all had an epiphany. When, when all of a sudden you saw him start moving that chair, everybody was like, oh. I mean, because, and there was a couple things that came into your mind. I can't believe he's doing this. Some of you were kind of like, wait a minute, I didn't know they had the cognitive ability to, to formulate that kind of plan. And that's what I was thinking about. And, and then there's no way he's going to open up that toaster oven with his paw. But all, I mean, he has the ability to do this. See, that's an epiphany moment when all of a sudden you did notice something and you become aware of it. It's watching somebody fix something so that the next time it breaks that you can fix it yourself or, or asking somebody why they do the things or say the things that they do and you really seek with understanding, not with an argument, but with understanding to try to see what's going on in their head, why they do the things that they do. And the problem is, is we can watch an event over and over again and never have an epiphany moment or a eureka moment. And Christmas is one of those events. Everybody here is, whether you're a Christian or not, you have seen the Christmas story kind of worked out in front of you over and over again. And whether it's um, the complexity of religion, whether it's the accompanying mythology that and there is some mythology built into the story that that has been added to the genuine story or or maybe it's the commercial uh the commercialization of of christmas or or maybe you're just not paying attention but a lot of us say merry christmas to someone and we actually know that the name christ is built into it but we really don't notice it's there the only people that notice that Merry Christmas is there and that Christ is there is two groups of people. The people who don't want it to be there and the people who see the Christ in the story. But otherwise, we kind of like, you want to call it Hanukkah, you want to call it Christmas, whatever, it really doesn't matter. Because we, we're watching something, but we're not really seeing it take place. But we're not alone. Because it's interesting, one of the characters of the story didn't notice it either take place. They, they were kind of like us. They, they saw the story uh, unfold in front of them, but they really didn't see what God was trying to do. So let me read to you the story of Zechariah. Leading up to the birth of Jesus, the following events occur in Luke chapter 1. We're told this. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So if you don't go to church a lot, this is not Jesus' mother and father. This is John the Baptist's mother and father. John the Baptist's job is going to be to go before Jesus when Jesus' ministry begins. It's kind of get everybody prepared to let them know that, hey, somebody's coming who's going to do something amazing in the world. You need to prepare yourself for this amazing thing. And this is the parents of, of that individual. So Zechariah is a um, pretty good religious person. I mean, that's a pretty good description of him, that he is perfect and blameless in the commandments and statutes of the law. Um, actually, he's more than religious. He was born into religious service as a priest. So it's, it was more than just a job for him. I mean, for me, this was a vocation that God called me into. But for Zechariah, he was kind of born into the job. So part of his birthright was to become a priest. So he wasn't just somebody that went to church. He wasn't just somebody who worked with youth. He wasn't somebody that volunteered. He wasn't somebody who was the lead pastor of a church. He was somebody who was born to do exactly this. So the reason why I say that is he should be somebody that gets it. Wouldn't you think, I mean, he's got everything that, that if anybody's going to see what God's doing, this guy should see it. So the story continues. Now, while he was serving as priest before God with, the divi with his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Wow. So, I mean, this is what he's praying for, right? That his wife will become pregnant. I mean, this is, this is, wouldn't you think like Zechariah was like, man, this is, this is awesome. This is great. This is, this is what I've been prepared for all my life. So you think he would get it. But listen to his response. Luke 1.18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. It's like, wait a minute, how can this possibly happen? Because I have stuff going wrong in my life. I have difficulty in my life. I can't pull this off myself. You know, so he's, he's like, I don't see it. I really just don't see it. So the angel, and I think if... Angels have an eye roll or a tone. I, th I, think, I, think there's a, I think there's an eye roll and a tone going on 
in, in this response of this angel. And the angel answered him, and I think it's funny, the angel says his name. I mean, it's kind of like, do you know who I am? Kind of response. So the angels answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And you can put in parentheses, you idiot, okay? <laughs> but I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. So, so here's the thing. Zechariah is born into a God-centric nation. Sound familiar? So he's born into a nation, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I mean, so he's born into a, a nation that the story of God is written into their culture, whether they're Christian or atheistic, that it's built into it. Zechariah is born into priestly service. It's like, well, that should make you get it. I mean, don't we think all pastors believe in God? Don't we think that everybody that, that you know, reads their Bible, believes in God, and he is, he's on duty in the temple. So, so I get it, he's in the country, he's, he's born a priest, but now his job is actually to go into this really holy place. And he sees an angel, and he talks to the angel. I mean, wait a minute, just follow that down. Why, if you had this incredible experience of seeing an angel and the angel talks to you, why would you move to this place of not seeing? I mean, wouldn't you be astounded at the fact, oh my goodness, there's an angel talking to me. Wouldn't that just like transform the direction of your life from that moment forth? Is it possible to have such an impact by God, such a spiritual event occur, and you still don't see it? Zechariah still doesn't see it. Why doesn't he get it? Why didn't he get what the angel was telling him? I, and I kind of like ran this through my own personality, why I don't get God sometimes. Um, maybe he was culturally godly. You know, maybe that's, it's a cultural thing. And, and that's notorious in the Bible Belt. Sundays, people go to church. In between, we just live like we don't get it, like we didn't see it. You know, um, we, we, we live with very low expectation from God. Even though we are culturally to believe in him and, and we don't serve liquor before. Do we sell liquor on Sundays? We do. Who answered me? That lady right there. Uh, that's awesome. I want to party with you. She the only one has got liquor. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to trick you like that. But, you know, um, 
That's what happens when we become culturally Christian. Or maybe he was just going through the motions. You know, just kind of going through it. Uh, maybe he wasn't expecting anything to happen. And a lot of us, we, we act like God doesn't talk anymore. You know, we, we will try to go to a church where we'll, we'll say, well, I don't want to go to that church over there because they speak in tongues. Why, why is that? so unacceptable. Um, well, these people over here, they believe in miracles, and they believe God talks to them. And it's like, well, where do we end up with the Christianity where God doesn't talk to his people? I mean, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I mean, so where do we kind of get to the place where all of a sudden, when a doctor tells us that we have an incurable cancer, that that's the last voice we'll ever hear on the subject? Why do we have no expectation of, of maybe God intervening in our lives, but somehow we've gotten to that place. It was always part of his thinking, but apparently it wasn't part of his seeing. You know, we, we think God, we think rationally that the uncreated universe had to come into being through some sort of force and, and that ending up with this planet, with this group of people and our incredible ability to create that. I mean, we, we logically get it. Yeah, this really couldn't have just all happened by accident. But yet we don't see beyond that. Whatever the reason was, I think it's possible for us to be just like Zechariah, um, to just not see even though we see. Um, we practice something. We may know something. We may believe something. But we really don't allow it to drop inside here. We, don't, we just don't see it. So I think we need to ask ourselves why. What, what is it that keeps it? And I've kind of done this inventory in my own life. And I go through seasons of I see it, and it'll be like, you know, um, I'll see something great, and I'll get to the peak of whatever it is that God wanted me to see, and, and then I'll find myself in another valley, and, and there's only shadows being cast by these ideas of the mountains to the left and right of me, but then I'll have to climb another mountain to see, and, and once again, I'll have this moment of seeing it, and, and so I, I kind of like run it through my mind, what is this, this cycle that I go through that, you know, sometimes keeps me from seeing it? Um, is it doubt? I think he can be for a lot of us. But Jesus told us this about the issue of doubt in Matthew 7. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. He says, knock, and, and, and it will be opened to you. Seek, and you will find. He's, he's like, you know, seeing doesn't just happen. It's it's the result of journey. It's a result of knocking on something. That It's the desire to be able to see. And every time that I've entered into a moment of doubt, and I've had many doubts in my faith throughout the years, that whenever I've set myself to ask God to help me to see, or I've started the journey to find, or I've knocked on a situation or a an objection to the Christian faith, and I knock on that door, and, and I'm like, God, help me to see, you know, what's going on here in my life or in this concept, and that every time that I'm, I press through the doubt to try to see, God gives to me. So maybe it's not our doubt. Maybe it's not the question that we have that is so intrinsically packed with an opposition to the Christian faith, but that we think the question, and we never press through the question to the answer. 
that we never actually push through. Like so many people that, you know, may believe in how the universe got formed and, well, I, I just don't believe in God because of science. And then I'll be like, okay, what particular science is it that's standing in your way? Because I, I would love to have a conversation with you. I mean, and then I'll take them through a litany of arguments that I know that, that they may have objections to. And you'll find out, I, I don't really know anything about M-theory. You know, I don't know anything about multi-universes other than what I saw on Star Trek. You know, I really, I really don't know about that, you know, or on uh, The Man in the High Castle or whatever show that it was. Um, and it's like, so you've never pressed the issue? No. I just allowed the question to remain resonant in my life, and I never knocked. I never sought. I never asked for God to give me a direction to resolving this so that I could see it. Maybe it's busyness. Uh, I'm not even sure I spelt that word right. Is that right? Is that words? Is that busyness? No, it's not right. Not. Is it an I? Isn't that businessness? <laughs> I just realized in my note. I don't think I spelt that right. Ted, help me out here, babe. Come on, man. But maybe it is busyness. And I'm not talking about you having to go shopping to targets. I'm not talking about your. And there's an S on targets. And I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about the Christmas party you got to plan or anything like that. I'm talking about the busyness of your mind. The busyness of, the busyness of worry. The busyness of pain. The things that just keep all the resources of our soul occupied. You know, um, it's funny, when I, you know, as I deal with some of the issues of pain in my own life, the busier I get, the less I notice my pain. It's really interesting. My wife will ask me, well, how's your back feeling today? And I'll be like, well, I don't want to talk about it. You know, and, and then I'll get busy doing things. And I'll be going through, through the day, and, and it's like, did my pain go away? No. But my mind, I, I allowed my mind to become unbusy with the pain. And for a lot of us, we're just busy with worry. In Mark 4, 19, Jesus describes the reason why we don't see it sometimes when the word of God is spoken to us. He says, the, word, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. It never becomes an epiphany an awareness, a thought that changes the direction of our lives. And I think a lot of us have busy minds. You know, we're, we're busy with Facebook. We're, we're, we're busy with fantasy football. We're, we're, we're busy with, with all the things that occupy our day. And I don't think it's just time. I think it's, I think it's our mind. I think some of us imagine the worst things happening to us. And we need to bring those thoughts captive to the authority of Christ and tear them down. So for some of us, God is, God is doing all kinds of things on the, on, the, uh, on the roadside next to us, but we're just not seeing it because we just have our heads down and we're, we're busy. Maybe it's over-familiarity. Maybe we're just over-familiar with the story. Romans 1.21 says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor God, honor him as God, or give thanks. He was talking about a culture that would rise up that knows the whole story of God, but, you know, 
I know it's true. I'm familiar with the story. And I just go through the motions of it. But it becomes too over-familiar. And believe me, as a pastor who has to teach the Christmas story every year, the Easter story every year, the Good Friday story every year, I tell you, I am like, ah, I hate these holidays. I mean, it's like, how am I possibly going to communicate this in a way that is pizzazzy? Something different. And, and what is the problem is that I know even in myself that it, we just get over familiar. It's like, well, well, how did I end up here where I am today? It's because I asked God to help me to see something different. Help me to see. Help me to learn something new about this story. Help me to have an epiphany in my life. For some of us, we're just over familiar with it. And then here's the last one is we don't see because maybe it, it's the implications of seeing it. Um, maybe if we see it, it will make me responsible to respond to it. So maybe we're a little concerned about the implications of it. If all of a sudden we ask God to help me see how I should be nicer or how to forgive or how to love or maybe to stop some sort of vice in my life or maybe, maybe the boyfriend that you're dating. I mean, this is a classic one. The boyfriend that you're dating that you kind of not sure if he's the right one for you. You kind of get it, but you really don't want to talk to God about it because maybe he'll let you see that he's not the one. So a lot of times, we, we don't see because we don't like the implication. Well, if, I'm, if I make Jesus Lord of my life, oh man, that's gonna, that's gonna change my living arrangements. That's gonna change how I, how I use my money. That's gonna change how I, you know, my, my self-centeredness. I'm gonna have to get involved in other people's lives and serve other people. I'm gonna have to give. I'm gonna have to be a part of it. It's like, ah, oh, I just don't wanna go there. So for sometimes we don't see because I, I don't want the implications of what it means if Jesus Christ really died on the cross, rose the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and is Lord of the universe. I mean, just hearing that, if you really buy into that, yeah, that's going to affect your life, isn't it? I mean, that kind of creedal statement may be on the paper, but when you see it with your soul, all of a sudden you realize it's got implications on how I deal with my family, how I deal with my neighbors, how I deal with my stuff. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10, the Apostle Paul talking about the end times and how people will think, he said this, they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. It's like, yeah, it's a really good idea, really good principles, but I don't, I don't love it. I, I don't want it in here. I want it to remain here, but I don't want the love of the truth in here because then I will have to go to this place of the lordship of Christ, this getting saved idea, this principle of giving my life to God. But we like it for, for Christmas. And through the journey, Zechariah finally gets it. Maybe he has to lose something before he sees it. 
Maybe he has to go mute. Maybe he has to, for a while, God has to shut him up. You know, that's a good plan for a lot of Christianity, isn't it? Is, is if God would shut up the, the Bible Belt for like, for like nine months and just say, you people can't talk. You can't talk about homosexuality. You can't talk about, you can't talk about nothing. You know, until you see it. There is nothing more polluting to the concept of God than a mouth that doesn't see the truth of God, that doesn't allow the truth of God to go into its heart. But after a season of being shut up by God, Zechariah After his son is born, I want you to listen to how different his speech is. Luke 1, 76, speaking about his son, he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise, referring to Jesus, shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and to the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I mean, the last thing that we heard out of this guy's mouth was, I, I don't see it. I'm too old. The old biddy over there, she's too old. I don't see how this is going to work. That's the last thing that comes out of his mind. But all of a sudden, when somebody sees it, all of a sudden, he's talking about sunrise. But I I love what he says. He says, to give light to those who are sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. And, And I love it because he's referring to himself because he says later on, to guide our feet in the way of peace. He's like, I was that guy. I was religious. I was sitting in the shadows of something, but not in the light of something. See, a lot of us today are sitting in the shadow of Christianity. A lot of us are sitting in the shadow of the Christmas story, but we're not walking in the light of it. And it's interesting that in the Greek, that the word that he uses for light is the Greek word epiphany. He says that Christ has come so that you and I can have an epiphany, not just a good story. You know, something that illuminates us, something that changes the direction of our lives. And God wants you this season to have an epiphany. He wants you to, wants you to see that this season is not mythical. And, you know, there's all kinds of myth. And I know you get nervous when I say a word like that around the Christian story, but there's all kinds of myth. I mean, we, we got Frosty the Snowman. That can't be true. Okay, I'm just, I'm just thinking this out loud. I don't think that one's true. There's a couple other stories I don't think it's true, but they all get melded together. You know, the three wise men, the fact that there's three wise men, we don't know that there was three wise men. The fact that they were there when the shepherds were there, they weren't there when the shepherds were there. They showed up like two years afterwards. 
You know, I mean, so, you know, that the star, when it, it stopped over that place, that there was a beam of light coming down, resting on the manger. That's cool. You know, I mean, that's, I don't like that, uh, but it's probably not the way that it was actually happening. You know, the story is filled with Joseph running for his life with Jesus and, the, and Mary and hiding in Egypt and, and, and Herod trying to kill. I mean, we don't talk about that part of the story. And for a lot of us, we've lost it in the mythology of Santa Claus or some other thing. He wants us to see, and this is the big takeaway today, that your life matters. He really wants you to see it, that your life matters. Jesus didn't have to come to the earth to prove a point. Jesus didn't have to come to the earth to, to become Lord and King over the universe. The whole story, the whole sea is that God wants to step into your life and bring his voice back to you, bring truth back to you, to bring hope back to you. No matter how barren your life is, no matter how long you've been living with pain, how much doubt you may be working against in your life, that God wants you to know that you matter. And it's astonishing how the smallest moment can change the entire world. It's absolutely astonishing. So let me encourage you. You may think that I don't believe God cares about me. I've had that thought before too. But if we look at the story, that's not true. If we see it, you may think that God doesn't talk to you. It's not true. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and you will find. Seek you will have the voice of God speaking into your life. I don't believe God heals. I'm just gonna have to live this way for the rest of my life. No, I don't think that's, I don't think that's true. If I see this story the right way, I don't have to live the way that I've been told I have to live. So let me encourage you, in this moment, I know we do communion 52 times a year. And every Sunday we get up and we get in line. Maybe while we're in line, we say hi to a friend or two and we come down and, and for a split second, we, we have a moment where we hear somebody say, peace and grace to us, body of Christ, the blood of Christ. But maybe it's time for us to see it. You know, really, it's like, you love me that much. This little baby to the cross is all about me seeing I matter to you. Let's start our Christmas season that way. So as you come to receive communion or prayer or maybe a moment where you pin something to the cross, ask God to help you to get it to see it.
because he wants it to go from here to here. He wants it to change the direction of your life. Father, in this moment, we invite the spirit of epiphany. We invite the Holy Spirit to illumine our hearts, our eyes of our soul, that we press through the doubts. God, that we break through the busyness and the noise of our minds. God, that we break up the fossilized familiarity of the Christmas story so that you can show it to us brand new. And God, we dare the implications of your Lordship, that you're not here to hurt us. You're not here to steal from us, but you're here that we may have life and life abundant. But we must give that life first to you. So God, we ask through the Spirit of God that you help us to see.